my first question is, what are you a world record holder at? So we are world record holder for the most electricity generated with a rowing machine. And that was a, a, a group uh, effort down on uh, a sunny day in London uh, next to the Thames. And uh, for some reason, I'm the only one that got a uh, certificate, which very proudly hangs <laughs> in our hallway. So, um, yeah, I, I love I'd, I'd love to say I ha- it was it was my own world record, but it's a, it was a group effort. But I'm very very proud of it, and it's behind glass, and it's great to see the uh, the Tesco delivery driver's uh, eyes when he's at the door, uh, reading it as I'm hardly putting the shopping away. Was that before you decided to row across the Atlantic? It was, yes. Yeah. And did it did it feed into that? Yeah, it was. It was all part of the, I guess, the PR, the hype, trying to get people to sponsor us to to raise money, and uh, we were very lucky. We had some kitted out uh, C twos which generated electricity, um, and there was a way that you could kind of monitor that in the battery packs that were attached to it. Um, absolute buggers to get moving, um, but. Um, yeah, it was it was all part of that campaign leading up to the the role. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because we're in the midst of I don't know whether it's real or whether it's media hyped. We'll time will tell of a um, energy crisis and cost of living. How much how much electricity in real terms did you generate from rowing? In terms of kind of could it power a lamp? Could it help? <laughs> could it help on a day to day basis? I think it was a sizable amount. I'll have to, it's been a while, so I'll have to go back and check. But uh, it, it was a sizable amount of electricity generated, considering that some of the other places we've been to, you have you know, people that power their, their iPads um, while they um, cycle. And I think there was a McDonald's where you could charge your phone while you sat at one of the chairs and, and, uh, and pedaled away. But it, it, I think there was a good, good few of us there, so it was a, a sizable amount. There you go. I'm just thinking of a, a solution to cost of energy prices at the moment in terms of everyone get a concept to rigged up to a <laughs> I think that would fix a lot of problems I think that would fix more than just the energy crisis yeah let's 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 talk offline and we'll start a new limited company and get that ongoing <laughs> no problem <laughs> so, so how did the Atlantic crossing come about so um uh, three businessmen in Bolton were going business to business asking for sponsorships. And at the time, I was working for AO.com. And uh, they spoke to the CEO, John Roberts, and he said, no, 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 I'm not going to sponsor you. Stick one of my staff members on it and uh, paint the side of it with our logo. And what happened was uh, pretty early on in my career, I got an email. Well, we all got an email out of the blue. Do you want to row across the ocean? And I was so excited I stood up in an open plan office and and then quickly sat down and replied yes without reading the rest of the email. Um, And then I read the email. Uh, But it was just one of those things that just appeared out of nowhere, like completely random. Uh, And I just replied as quickly as I could, yes. And then went back and carried on reading the rest of the email. So um, there was a bit of a shortlisting process. I went around and got references from people. We were interviewed, and then eventually it was whittled down to myself and one other person. Um, and then for the, the next year after that, um, we just made sure we attended training. We uh, took part in all the fundraising events. Um, 
essentially we were golfers, if I'm completely honest, while the other three businessmen kind of decided which of the two of us they wanted to go with. And I was very lucky to be selected. Um, to be honest, I was pretty fanatical about this. So um, if there was a meeting, I was half an hour early. If there was training, I was prepped. Um, just made sure that in every possible way, in every possible light, um, I was uh, seen as the the obvious choice, which I'd like to think I was. Um, so yeah, it was completely out of the blue. Nothing I'd ever thought of, nothing I'd ever considered. Didn't even know it was a thing, if I'm honest, until that email kind of landed in my lap. So when that email sorry, came in... I'm sorry, say that again? When that email came in, I'm assuming you were a fairly fit, active, healthy person anyway. And I think we've talk, talked about this in, in previous conversations with different people in terms of you're more likely to put your hand up for something like that if you're already very active and already invested in a healthy life. I'd like to think so. This was, uh, I guess, a year after I'd, le I'd left the fitness industry. So I was working for Fitness First, running a couple of their gyms up in Manchester, uh, and then off the back of uh, my time at AO, uh, in the evenings, I was running boot camps for the staff at a church that was around the corner. So, you know, I was pretty pretty involved in just, you know, being fit, being healthy, running fitness classes, um, and then running a few kind of diet clubs as well throughout the year. So I'd like to think I was in, in, in shape, but you know, I was pretty young and stupid back then. And uh, obviously with the advent of... Uh, Instagram and all the other kind of social media tools, there's there's people miles uh, ahead of the game. What was your athletic background? Did you do sports at school? Was I was just terrible. Gym? I was terrible at sports. I did absolutely no sports. Had, considering I'm from Manchester, I had no love for football whatsoever. <laughs> um, and just... I don't know why it just was never anything I was any good at anything I ever enjoyed you know you had those short shorts you're doing PE on a, a field it's hailing you're at the far end of the field thinking what the hell am I doing with my life and everyone else seems to be enjoying themselves so I, I had absolutely no fun with sports but being a very skinny underweight person I think and like most gym goers you know it's I think it was an old copy of Muscle and Fitness or one of those crazy ones where the guys are as wide as they are tall. And um, yeah, I just thought, oh, let's let's try going to the gym. It took another year to actually pluck up the, the courage to go to a gym. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I thought, oh, fuck, I should have done this years ago. Mm. But that was the extent of any kind of fitness on my part. It was literally just going to the gym, messing around with my macros, messing around with different routines. Then I discovered CrossFit, tried to... You know, well, pretty much <laughs> destroyed myself um, through those workouts and decided quickly that wasn't that wasn't the kind of training I like or enjoy. And then went back to just, you know, push-pull legs. Hmm. What, what made you decide to try the gym thing back when you were a skinny, <laughs> skinny kid? <laughs> it's a good question. I think, so I'm a massive geek. And, you know, with the exception of very few superheroes, most of the superheroes are in decent nick, you know. So it was always one of those things where that's the ideal, you know. Uh, that was the uh, the goal. I wanted to look like Spider-Man in the comics, you know, where he had the, the rounded delts and uh, the massive quads. 
And um, yeah, I think that was what started it for, for me. But it wasn't until um, I started to really get into it. And it, you start to, it's just the pump, you know, it's nothing else. But for a skinny guy to have a massive arm pump for the first time and you walk out like you're carrying two carpets under your arms and you feel like you're, you know, a million dollars. What a feeling, what an amazing feeling without having to inject anything or take anything. And then, you know, you kind of want to repeat that. So there's that nice little feedback loop. And I just really enjoyed it. Um, I was really lucky to, to, to go to a few spit and sawdust gyms in Manchester. So Olympic gym, which isn't around anymore and, and train with Tati, who's a, an amazing female powerlifter. And she taught me how to deadlift properly, taught me how to squat properly. And then again, with um, going to CrossFit in Manchester, you know, what is an Olympic lift um, and what are the mechanics behind them? And, and that kind of started the love affair. Amazing. So you stood up in the middle of the office. You've gone, fuck it, I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. You've gone through all the prep stuff before they choose that you're going to be the one. So had you started training at that point? No, absolutely not. I had no idea. Uh, for, an for someone who just went into push-pull legs and then arms five times a week, you know, starting to think about endurance training was a completely different game. So we ended up getting a coach at the University of Bolton who's worked with um, quite a lot of professionals and he put together a program for us and it was... It was just pretty standard, I say standard now, but it was, you know, run 10K a day, get on the C2 rower and row for an hour and a half each morning. Um, you know, he'd create a little greenhouse in the lab, put the heaters on, stick a couple of watt bikes in there and stick us in there for about 45 minutes to an hour just to make us as uncomfortable as possible. But training-wise, it wasn't anything spectacular or amazing. It was very much get on a piece of machinery and stay on as long as you can. I, I like that description of nothing. It wasn't anything unusual to run 10K every day in an hour and a half on the road. <laughs> but, every but what morning. I mean is, yeah, I, I mean, you can, you know, you can pay for a coach now or I'm, I'm, I'm looking to do my first triathlon and I've got a, a training plan, which might as well be written in Greek to me because it, it just, it's, it's just really, really, you know, do X amount of time, do this, then do this. And, and this was literally just, you turn up at the lab and you just be like, right, get on the bike, one hour, done. Mm. And it was just, you know, you didn't stop and you, you, you know, he'd turn the heating on, he'd put little masks on you. But that was about as advanced or as, as complex as it got. It was just, just work. Mm. I suppose the goal was quite specific in terms of what you needed to achieve, which was to be able to keep going for a very, very, very long time. It was, and I think... The, the thing that I tell people is anyone who's half decently fit could row an ocean. I, I genuinely believe this. I could stick either of you two in a boat right now and physically you'd have no problems because it, it's more the the conditioning, if that makes sense. It's more the mindset, which was a bigger part. And you're not you're not really using your legs as you're rowing, um, if I'm completely honest, because of the way the boat moves on the ocean. And you know, you're doing two hours on, two hours off. And then those two hours off, you're prepping, you're cleaning the boat, you're wiping down the the, the solar cells, uh, you're getting water for everyone, you get your head down for 45 minutes, maybe an hour if you're lucky, and then you're back on it. That was the hard part. That was the the, the difficult part. But physically, unless you're you know quite seriously 
obese or massively unfit any any person could could row across the ocean it's it's just the the mind part which is the the sticking point i think and it's important to say you were doing this with three other guys yes who prior to that time you didn't know absolutely yeah yeah Uh, the the great thing is that they were all decent guys um uh, a lot older than me um all marathon runners all iron men you know so they they had this background in you know long distances and that kind of grinding mindset whereas i was you know back and buys or chest and tries you know so it was a bit of a a new world for me but it's interesting so i had the privilege of listening to or watching your ted talk about it and clearly there was some fun dynamics whilst you were rowing um to the point where one chap kind of said nope i'm just gonna slide myself into my bunk for the next five days and fuck it i'm not doing this now yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas, whereas one of the other ones wanted to rip his head off, I'm, I'm, I think, to praise what you said. Yeah, pretty pretty much. And, and there was me stuck in the middle. Um, and the the unfortunate thing was that the team dynamic had, had broken down. And uh, a lot of the prep and a lot of the previous rowers and teams that we'd spoken to, it looked like a, a lad's holiday, you know, do a bit of fishing, you know, um, have, a, have a, get a great tan, um, take loads of videos and pictures and it was nothing like that we had the worst weather crossing um, ever I think uh, you know we had every manner of thing break down on the boat we took the wrong kind of fuel so we couldn't heat up any food or any drinks um, and then the team broke down and it was just a very difficult situation which to be honest I didn't speak to the guys for a good couple of years after we got back because I was so stuff yeah. yeah i guess so i mean i the experience was fantastic and i remember thinking god i wish i was doing this by myself um and it's still an option i guess i still mm. think about doing the pacific in a couple of years but um i don't know maybe it was just one of those things where the team broke down we spent two years together you know we used to do this thing where you'd shit in front of the other person um to try and make sure that i know how extreme that sounds but basically to make sure that you weren't you know there weren't any kind of niceties. There wasn't any case of, I'm going to give you your personal space and I'm going to have my personal space. I'm going to shit in a bucket and you're not going to look because there just wasn't that kind of space on the boat. Um, one of the horror stories we'd heard was someone on another team wasn't able to go number two for so long that they ended up having to be airlifted because you know they made themselves so so ill. And um, yep. it was uh, just one of those things where the guy that was coaching us was like, no, Every time, anytime either of you want to go upstairs and go for a shit, the entire team goes upstairs and stands there as well. And then you start playing little mind games where, you know, you're staring someone directly in the eyes while they're um, in the process. But it was, it was, um, you know, that's all fun stuff because you're indoors or you're on land, you're warm, you're safe. And then, you know, when you're on the bowl, did you use my fucking spoon? No, that's my fucking spoon. And then it just all kicks off. Mm. Did, did you have any inkling it might break down prior to going before you set sail? No, if I'm honest, I think we were all very naive. Um, I think you know you, we had heard some stories from other teams, but nothing this extreme. I think it was just you know we're we're essentially four businessmen from Bolton who had never rowed 
had never been out on the open sea uh, to any great degree. And all of a sudden we were doing this crossing. So um, but I would have liked to, to think we were more prepared, but we, we absolutely were not prepared for, for the experience. Yeah, my, my thought was probably similar to Paul's there in terms of you mentioned the training and the endurance and the 10Ks and the hour and a half on the rower. What, what did you do to prepare for just being literally so close to each other for such a long period of time? So the, the bathroom uh, example is, is yeah. probably the one that sticks in, in the mind more than anything else because it's burned in there. But um, for the rest of it, we did quite a lot of um, uh, rows on the Irish Sea. So uh, out of North Wales, you'd go out, you'd row as far as we dared, then you turn around and you come back, bitterly cold, you know, soaking wet from head to toe. And um, again, it was just, just the little things, you know, who, who got the food ready, who, uh, who was um, on time for their shift, um, who was um, making an effort to tell stories and to, to ask questions and who was having a sulk and, and who was being more or less helpful than the other person. So that was all the, the we call it the mentality of small boats because you're so cramped and you're so kind of in there and you have no space and you have no kind of time to yourself. It was all about kind of understanding these new definitions of boundaries, if that makes sense. Hundred yeah, percent. It's interesting because you talk about um, the weather and you, the expectation was going to be it's going to be nice, going to be sunny. It was going to be fun. Yeah, hard work but fun. And <laughs> the record was thirty-three days. You were hoping to do it in sort of forty-five days, and ended up taking fifty-five days. Do you think? the environment had a big impact on the mood on the boat because things are better or seemingly better when it's sunny, you're not wet, you're not cold and miserable. I'm guessing if it's wet and it's cold, the sea is probably going to be rougher, which just probably makes things harder. So you're just in this middle of a shitstorm, which then just puts that pressure on everybody and then just takes that little bit of a chink and a crack and then the car, the house of cards starts to fall down, doesn't it? I massively think that the weather was a huge contributor to this because from the get-go, we had to battle some pretty strong winds. We ended up going a lot slower from the start than we wanted to. Um, and again, it was one of those things where we hadn't realised, but you will never be dry. In those 50, it was 59, not 55, unfortunately, but Sorry. in those 59 days, you, you just can't get dry at all. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard I guess the way I describe it to people is imagine yourself now fully clothed, being soaking wet and cold for 59 days. Um, and that's so salty. Yes, the, saw, <laughs> the salt, um, not being able to sit down comfortably, um, running out of talcum powder. Um, it was just, just horrible. And again, the weather being so bad, it meant that a good few days you were on the power anchor, which meant that you couldn't actually row. So you put a little parachute looking device into the ocean that would hold you in place and then you'd get into the, the little cabin um squeeze up all together and you'd stay in there until it was safe to come out and wow. and row and again the boat would kind of rock to and fro or spin like a washing machine so it was um just a horrible way to start it really broke spirits um from the very get-go in terms of a, an experience overall because i the, <laughs> I'm getting a 
maybe maybe we're sort of drilling down on these things um, because they're kind of the reality of it. Um, but overall, was the experience just shit or was it really good? It was probably the shittest time of my life, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. I remember saying to one of the other lads, they should make prisoners do this. Uh, and even then, they would be considered cruel and unusual punishment. It was it was just horrible. And I remember thinking, what have I what have I done in my life to deserve this? And you know, what kind of a stupid idiot signs up to do something like this? You could be home with your pregnant wife in in the in the indoors where it's draw, uh, warm and dry, watching TV, going out with your mates, eating hot food, having carbs. And, you know, it, none of that was there. Um, but that, that if, if I'm honest, I think about maybe halfway through, that seemed to change. I don't know if it was just us acclimatizing to the situation or the weather starting to get a little bit better. Um, but there was this, this feeling of, wow, I'm incredibly lucky right now. Um, and it was, it, you kind of get it after you see a pot of, Dolphins or a huge whale would swim underneath you, or you'd see the meteorites. So obviously, meteorites or comets that that hit the atmosphere. I can't remember which one, but you'd see them kind of flashing over you at nighttime, or you know this brilliant night sky. Um, you know, you count your days by the phases. So you count your nights by the phases of the moon. Um, hours go past really slowly. Weeks fly by. It's it was just one of those things where. I think by the halfway mark, really started to feel like this was probably one of the best experiences of my life. And it, it isn't, you know, I got married, um, I've, I've got two kids, um, you know, and those far outweigh that experience. But in terms of a, an experience that I can use as a, a singular definition, that was that was kind of the turning point. It is a strange one. Sorry, Paul, I know you've got a question there, but just to follow up on what I was saying in terms of the experience. And I think a lot of the time when people see people doing extraordinary things, they don't actually <laughs> hear or see the, the fact that actually a lot of the time it's absolutely awful. Yeah. It's, it's just terrible. And for me, it seems as if, yes, getting married is amazing. Having a child is amazing. But actually, most people experience those things so they can relate to them. Yeah. Whereas they can't relate to these crazy things. I'm saying crazy in inverted commas because they're not crazy. To me, they're great things to be able to do. But to a lot of people, they're unachievable. Whereas getting married and having a child is achievable. God. And that doesn't mean to say that that isn't amazing and that, I totally get what well, I've never rode across the Atlantic Ocean. I have had two ch children and got married. So <laughs> I understand that side of it and how amazing that is. But I think it's quite hard to comprehend for a lot of people for something they haven't done and could um, never see themselves doing. Yeah, I completely agree. Totally see your point there as well. I mean, it's messed me up a bit, if I'm completely honest. You know, I, I still can't sleep. Um, every every at least once a month, I'll wake up thinking the room is filling up with water, and uh, you know, I wake up and make sure everyone's alive. Um, and then just you know, you'll be in the middle of a, a meeting or a conversation or 
walking down the aisle in Sainsbury's and you just you suddenly you're there for all of a second and you're back in the room and you just feel this this pull if I'm completely honest just you know you want to go back even though it was a horrible experience it sounds like uh, you know I, I make it sound like an absolutely horrible terrible situation and it was but at the same time you miss it quite quite a bit it's um, I think because it is such a powerful experience it's also an accomplishment there is that level of wanting to reach that peak again does that make sense absolutely that, that you've got to the, you've got to the end of it you've got to the side and that sense of achievement it's that high isn't it and you're kind of not as you're chasing it but you're wanting to experience that moment again, that sense of accomplishment, that, that sense that I've gone through hell and I've kept going. I haven't stopped and just sat with the devil I've, I've gone through. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. There was a moment, um, it was the day that we left, when you know you're, it's the last step on dry land and you get on the boat and you sit down. And it, it was almost like I heard an audible click. And that was me in my place in the universe. I've never felt like that ever again um, since that day. But it, it just felt so incredibly right in that moment that this was where I was supposed to be. And this was the journey and the adventure specifically for me. And it just felt like, the, the, you know, when you get the last jigsaw piece in the, in the, the missing hole. And um, yeah, I totally get that. Um, it's just hard to... Hard to describe, and it's a bit scary that that might be the only time in your life you ever feel that as well. It, do you know what? That it, it raises the thought that people often think that the best things in their life are the things that they enjoyed the most or kind of had the best, sorry, best experience, but like the most positive experience. But actually, I do think if you've gone through something that has taken you to somewhere where you weren't prepared to go. Because you know, I imagine when you, when you set out and when you stood up in your cubicle in the office, you had no idea <laughs> what was actually <laughs> going to be there. And the, the dark times there, as well as the brilliant times in the sky and the, the achievement at the end, are all part of the experience and are all part of that. I suppose it, it, it may be maybe I'm going a bit deep here, but distills life down into what life actually is because life isn't just good things. Life is really, really bad things and things that are yeah. really hard and difficult. But actually you have to experience those to actually appreciate the good things and also look back on the bad things and realize that you got through them. Something you said there that, that definitely resonated. So... You know, right now, a typical day for me is I'll, I'll wake up. First thing I do is check my phone, check my emails, check the sales figures from yesterday, get up, have some pre-workout or maybe a coffee, go to the gym, listen to my music in the car, um, you know, get onto the kit. It's it's warm. It's, uh, it's dry. Then it's, you know, sitting in an office. It's, you know, working with coworkers. It, it, there's that. And then there's the other side of it where... You have to be on time when you wake up. You have to make sure you have fresh water. You have to make sure you've fueled yourself. So it's not food, it's fuel. 
um, you know, something will break on the boat. So you have to tie yourself to the deck so you don't fly off, get out the tools and try and fix it because it's either A, going to keep you going or B, going to keep you alive. Um, you know, you're reading the stars, you're looking at the maps, you're navigating because, again, you're in the middle of the ocean and if anything goes tits up, nobody can help you. That, I guess, that vitality of life, it, it, I almost sound like, you know, Bushman, you know, leaving behind civilization, going into the forest mm-hmm. and, and just living off, off mushrooms and, and wearing fox hides. But that's that's what it was. There was that vitality of life, which I miss immeasurably, mm. you know, um, especially when you're trying to get things like Zoom working and, you know, you've got a dinner that you can put in the microwave for three minutes and, you know, it's... It's very uh, raw, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And you had the experience of, so if people can imagine you've got your boat and then you've got these bars along the side of them, haven't you? Which is a small enough gap but it's a big enough gap for someone to slide in between when the boat capsizes, which I believe was what happened to you. And you were stuck there and you're like, "Mm, am I going to get out? Or is this me dusted and gone in the Atlantic Ocean? Pretty much. So, yeah, one morning the the boat just got flipped and um, from the rowing seat that I was in, I got um, pushed between the stanchion and the the, the oars and... um, the boat is supposed to be self-writing and for one reason or another it didn't so i'm kind of backwards in the water and i remember thinking so uh, are oh, your sorry, feet are your feet in the air or underwater my feet are still strapped into the uh into the uh, the rowing seat and the rest of my body is is in the water so my head neck chest is in the water um and i can't get back up because i'm i'm just kind of stuck between that gap Yeah. Do you think you've got some PTSD from that? <laughs> Could be. Um, I, I was very calm when it happened. I remember thinking, wow, the water's really warm. And then any second now, I'm going to get up and, right, nothing's happening. And then having the water kind of go in your nose, in your mouth, in your throat. And then just very calmly thinking, oh, wow, I'm drowning. Um <laughs> Again, it was very, very calm. It was a very calm sequence of thoughts. The water's really warm. Any second now, the boat will come back up. Boat's not moved, drowning. And then the last one is probably the one that saved me was, you're wearing a life jacket, Finn. Come on. And then I pulled the life jacket, inflated, and I think that gave us the buoyancy to get back up out of the water, um, clamber back on deck and and try and reset was the reason here's a question was the reason you were calm is because you thought it would be fine and it would come back up or were you calm because you actually thought you might die yeah that's a question um maybe neither you know i I just assumed that the boat was going to come up and i think if i had a real sense of this was the end I probably wouldn't have been that calm. It just, it just felt like I was in a automatic reporting mode, whatever that would be, and just kind of mm. this. This is the situation, and and what do we do about it? And unfortunately, I've been in maybe two other situations similar to that, um, where, well, you know, somebody has has passed. Um, 
and well, there is a danger of that, and I've I've been very very calm in those situations. But uh, I'm not entirely sure if that's just what everybody has, or it's a a bit of a a mold that, <laughs> that everyone kind of can access in that situation. No, I, I I don't think everybody has that automatically. I think you either have that or you don't, and I think a lot of times people can make a situation worse by, well, I suppose actually you can make a situation worse by doing nothing, but you can also make a situation worse by just panicking blindly and making things worse. And I think- so sorry, in, sorry, I missed that last part, apologies. Okay. So I was just saying that I think, I don't think people- or all people possess that ability to be calm and think and be rational in a life or death situation. Fight or flight, isn't it, generally speaking? Yeah, generally, yeah, absolutely. And the, without going into the sort of psychological and um, kind of sort of physical reactions to those sort of things, being able to choose whether panicking or being calm is really important. Because in some situations, panicking is actually the right thing to do because it might get you loose from a particular thing. It might free your feet. It might, you know, kind of cause something to happen. But in other situations, just being calm might save your life. And it's interesting. There's no real sort of answer to, the, <laughs> to that situation that you found yourself in. It's just an interesting, um, an interesting situation because you chose a path that actually was the right thing to do. And if you had have panicked, you might have not inflated your life jacket because you were just panicking about the situation and you might have actually killed yourself. I'm, I'm sorry to catastrophize. No, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I, I was going to say, it's. It, I'd love to make it sound like I'm really cool and calm under pressure. It's abs- 100% not that because I'm, I'm quite a... A warrior i'm quite an anxious anxious thinker it's mm. just in those situations it, it, it i'm trying to make it sound not like i'm trying to up myself but it just takes over if that makes sense yeah. so yeah. i've had people come up to me in, in other situations and go what the hell have you lived through that you're this calm and i just kind of you know shrugging you just get on with the yeah. job i guess yeah i think um in those sorts of situations, there is the fight or flight. And actually, if you're not flighting away or really panicking, often there is a sense of calm that comes over whilst you're dealing with the situation, almost as if you're a third person. And then it's after the event, everything comes crashing down. And there's this like um, physical toll that it takes where you feel quite tired. And maybe a bit high emotionally, followed by a bit low emotionally. And then there's that reflective time where you think, fuck, what if? What if this had happened? What if the had happened? And you kind of live through that and then you come on the other side of it, hopefully. I mean, that definitely happened. Um, I think it was more <clears throat> when, the, when the team dynamic broke down and I just pretty much lost it with everyone, if I'm completely honest. Um, but... Yeah, with, with situations like that, you just 
you know, it's it's literally a life or death situation. So, you know, crying about it or panicking about it is is the least helpful thing you can do. You know, you get back on, you, you survey for damage, you make sure that you can still row and, you know, you, the seat isn't completely broken and you, you can tie yourself back on. I didn't have a life jacket for the rest of the, the journey, obviously. Um, so that was fun. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's... And how much journey was there? How far in was this? I think this was three quarters of the way in. Okay. So not too bad to not have a life jacket. Yeah. And when you came home, did friends, colleagues, relatives say, you've changed a little bit. You're a bit different. Not in a bad way. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't think so. I had this romantic vision of myself going away and doing this grand adventure. And if I do this, then I'll be the person that I want to be. You know, that kind of, if I, mm. if, I, if I do this event or if I sign up to this triathlon or if I follow this 12-week plan, if I do this, then I'll become this. And it, it wasn't. I was just myself. I was just very tired afterwards. I had an epic beard um, and a few stories to tell. But, you know, I, no one really said much. I think I, I did struggle the first well, the first day you can't walk because your body is acclimatized to the up and down with movement of the ocean. So um, I, it was about two days before I got my land legs back. Um, I lost a little bit of vision in the left eye, which eventually came back. Um, sleep, just a mess. Um, and that was pretty much it, really. And then, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, if I say solitary, I, I, I crave to be around people, but I don't like it. You know, so I, I like my alone time as well. So that kind of weird um, mix of of personality there as well. But no, I don't. I don't think so. I just got back and had a bit of an adventure. And right, what's next? And then again, I came back just before my wife gave birth to our, our first child as well. So had all of that to deal with. Yeah, that's 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 interesting in terms of just something you said. And I'm going back to. Um, Paul will probably realise some sort of a, a conversation that we had a few weeks ago, um, not, not for the podcast, but just just a, a conversation we had, which is quite something you just said there in terms of you like being by yourself, but you like being around people. I'm, t- I'm totally with that. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how I am, and it, it, it does. To you're neither an introvert or an extrovert. You're kind of both but at different times and I, th- I think that's fine as well um but i suppose yeah, my question my question say you can come across a little schizophrenic because suddenly you're the, the loudest person in the room and you're an extrovert getting everybody hyped up yeah. and then it's a case of yeah I'm, I'm 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 gonna go to the toilet guys i'll see you in a second instead you're on the tram back home with a with a donkey kebab yeah i i so back back in the uh I'm going back to the sort of mid to late nineties. I was always the one who I'm going to get another drink. I was, I was out of there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never to return. Um, but yeah. So do you, so Paul asked the question in terms of, did people think you were a different person? Um, and let's fast forward to kind of now because this was eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years ago, because I'm not counting the last two years because they didn't exist. Um, 
Oh, great. <laughs> they, did. Yeah. Yeah, they, they didn't really have... No, they, they did exist, but time passed at a different rate during, yeah. during the last two years, and it was all a bit skewed. Um, but yeah, so back to 2014, let's say. Do you think you're a different person because of what you've done, because of what you did? Yes, 100%. Just because I know... <laughs> What are the lessons? There have been times when I've said to myself, come on, Finn, you've rode a fucking ocean. It's just one of those things that you end up saying to yourself where, you know, it could be a, a, a presentation that you're nervous about doing, for example, and you kind of say that to yourself, or it could be, uh, you know, you're about to walk into a, a new gym or a new um, boxing club, and you're a little bit nervous about, you know, being the new guy. And again, it's just one of those things you kind of say to yourself in the car, come on, Finn, you brought an option. And that that seems to help massively. I think the other part of it is just, I don't know, it, it, I'll go back to this this old romantic idea of the ocean calling you. And it's I've spoken to a few other rowers and they feel exactly the same way. Even now, years after, you just have this this pull, this, this thing that, is just constantly with you. It's almost like tinnitus, this this constant thing that I can't describe. And that makes your that makes you patient and impatient about different things. It means that you possibly see things a little bit differently, if I'm completely honest. Um, so I'd like to think I'm uh, mentally uh, in a stronger place because of it. Uh, and I'm probably a little bit more self-aware about what I can and can't handle as well. Yeah, that's that's what came to mind when you were talking there in terms of you've experienced some you've experienced something that the vast majority of people can't even fathom, never mind have the direct experience. They can't even think what it takes to do that. And having that in your mind has to have application in everything you do on a daily basis. I agree with you to a point, and the only reason where the point is is that sometimes you forget, genuinely forget, yeah. or you, you you know you. I remember I joined a, a company a couple of years ago, and we were doing the tell everybody one interesting thing about you, and the person that hired me was just, oh, she couldn't wait to tell everyone. Um, <laughs> and when it got to me, uh, my interesting fact was that I could speak Chinese as well, and she was like, "No, no, no! Don't tell them that. Tell them the other thing, the other thing." And it, it you know, it's. It's really interesting. I thought you'd be you'd be the guy in the pub. Hang you know, on, yeah. oh, hang on. on. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. You can speak Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hang on. Can we just completely change the topic of the <laughs> conversation? Yeah, of course. So um, after I graduated, I wanted to do a bit of backpacking. So I went to China for uh, what ended up being six and a sorry five and a half years. Um, it's a big country. It's a lot of backpacking. <laughs> it's a lot of backpacking, but yeah, I um I ended up. I, I think I originally planned to stay for two year, two weeks, and ended up being there for almost six years. And I, again, from high school, hated languages, absolutely despised learning languages. But because you're there and nobody else speaks English, you just you end up picking it up. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a really interesting, not side note, but an interesting addition to the fact that you stood up and said yes I'm going to do the row having no background in rowing or anything like that 
I think that experience that you've had, and that's not an insignificant amount of time in China. That's yeah. the long. That would probably been almost a quarter of your life at the time, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 I guess so. Or a fifth of your life. Yeah. No, it's a portion. Yeah, and I just think that openness to experience, um, which is one of the sort of big five um, personality traits. Openness to experience is clearly something that you possess in huge quantities. <laughs> I mean, uh, if I describe myself, I, I was the, the skinny white kid from Moss Side, you know, and if you know Manchester and you know Moss Side, there wasn't, I'm not going to go into a sub story here, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of experiences. So being able to, to do things and even now, it gets me in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Someone will, ask me, you know, do you fancy doing this? And my instinctive answer is to say yes straight away and then deal with the aftermath after. Um, you should introduce him to Charlie Mears and see if he wants to birth the up Ben Nevis. Oh, absolutely not. No, I'm, I've, I've got more than enough common sense to say no to that straight away. <laughs> but um, it, again, I, I do the mental exercise of how would that work and what would it feel like and how would you prep for it? Um, when I when I listen to that podcast, yeah, can I can I tell you a, a, a very quick moss side story? Yes, please. <laughs> so, um, probably mid nineties um, when I used to um, kind of go home and away Newcastle United matches um, when Man City was still at Main Road. Okay, um, we parked in, in Moss Side and got out of the car. Um, me and my dad. And there was a group of kids. It may or may not have been you standing by the side. I imagine <laughs> not. <laughs> it was probably me, man. Yeah. And we noticed they were, everyone who parked up and parked, they were um, approaching and probably sort of, I don't know, threatening, I imagine. Um, and my dad, and I always remember this about my dad, and he's, he's not an aggressive man. And he never has been, but he's always been quietly confident and he beckoned them over this group of four or five four or five kids against this metal fence and moss side that we parked up against and he was like lads lads they were like two two or three cars away lads lads come over here and they came over came all like you know kind of invisible lat syndrome yeah exactly um god it probably was me then yeah <laughs> and he just said look if you make sure this car is exactly like it is now i'll give you 50 quid when we get back from the match and they were like oh, oh yeah of course of course of course of course we're going to do it and they literally all stood around the car amazing we went to the match came back and they were still there did he pay up yeah 50 quid yeah, yeah, of course he did. But otherwise, it was, there was, yeah. And we came, there were other car windows that were smashed and things. So it was probably a good, a good, uh, a good, a good spend of 50 quid. But yeah. I was going to say, yeah. So you, so you know my side then. Yeah. You know what it's like. It's, it's, it's gone better. Yeah, absolutely has gone better. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, it definitely has gone better. But again, it's just, you know, I, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Sorry, digression. That's good to digress. No, no problem. Um, 
you said something really interesting in your TED talk, and I've completely forgotten how it works now. But I think you said something along the lines of put your work between you and your heart or something like that. I was really cheesy in that talk, wasn't I? But yeah, it's... But it made sense (laughs) when when I listened to it. And you were talking about... Sorry, my cat's just walking across the screen. Um, That's normal. No problem. That's normal. (laughs) But you were saying on those hard times, you knew you had to get to the other side of the ocean so you could see your wife and baby that was due to come. So your heart was on the other side of what you were aiming for. Yeah. It just struck me as a really good thing. You know, it's important to kind of know what that internal driver is, that why. I mean, it's it's the, the core tenet in a lot of self-help books. You know, it's you know writing down on a piece of paper. It's your daily affirmations. It's what is it that you want to do, and if you you care enough about it and you want it enough, then the work doesn't necessarily seem to be work. Or uh, I've heard it said a lot more succinctly, which is embrace the suck, do the work. But for me, it was <clears throat> you know it, it's only pain is another one. Um, it, it was just. You know, you know what your North Star is and nothing else matters. And you just, you know, it, it can be it, discipline and motivation and all the bloody conversations around which is which and which one's more helpful. It just all falls by the wayside and you, you become probably more akin to that person I was in the boat in that, what do I need to do to stay alive? What do I need to do to keep the boat moving, to keep the team together, to get across the ocean, to, to get to the end goal? So, and with that in mind... How did you pull the guy out of the cabin after five days? What what changed there to to get the whole team going again? I'd love to say there was a motivational speech, and <laughs> you know we we turned him around. But <clears throat> for me, and this is not a good trait, um, he was essentially dead to me. Um, he was just no longer on the boat if that made sense. So he wasn't part of the, the discussions. He wasn't part of the journey. He wasn't part of the adventure. So he just wasn't part of it. And my head, instead of, I guess, trying to entice him back on and what can we do? It was, right, we are now a crew of three. How does that work? And, you know, he was in intense pain and the, the sores had, I think, to some degree become infected as well. Um, so he was in incredible pain, but I think that got better. You know, he, he got the rest that he needed. He recuperated and then he, he, he joined us afterwards. And then the conversation then became, right, we are now a team of four again. Um, and it was, it's, it's as, I guess, dispassionate as that, if I'm completely honest, because in, in, in that situation, there was no energy or time to spend on, entreating someone, convincing someone, it was just do the work. It sounds like a very practical decision and taking the emotional um, flare up from it. It's like, right, actually, he can't do this. He needs to go and do that. I'm not going to change his mind. No energy to spend there. This is where we are now. Let's just be practical about it and crack on. But it's absolutely got me in so much trouble in the corporate life. Because I manage so many people and that is not the attitude to take. You know, it is very much a case of 
bringing people on board, making time for your team, making sure that they feel supported. And I'd, I'd like to think, and as a, as a manager, um, my direct reports feel supported. You know, they, they know when they have messaged me out of hours and they know whenever there's a problem, I'll jump on. And, you know, again, if someone decides to, to leave us and, and go somewhere else, we'll support them. We'll try and keep them where possible, but it's, it's almost two different lives, two different worlds, if that makes sense. I don't know if it is. <laughs> I'm going to go for it. In. So I've, I've been in the corporate world for a while, and <clears throat> the past year I haven't, and I've stepped out of it. Um, but I've always been part of the, that corporate world and the, yeah, the being a sort of senior leader and helping people and supporting people and making them feel valued and involved and things and it almost seems as if you spent more of your time doing that than actually doing what you should be doing and I think there's a certain this is nothing to do with activity and exercise and rowing the ocean this is just a sort of life thing and a corporate thing people don't really want to take responsibility for themselves and their own progression in the business world that's that's my my view and they always want to seem to be kind of spoon-fed and helped along that and always look to the manager to do that rather than actually take initiative and just get on and do stuff that's the way I felt and that that's again talking about failings of of people and that that's a failing of me because I couldn't be asked with that <laughs> at the end of the day um, because I had a job to do and I had stuff to do and that was getting in the way and that ultimately led to me going to work for myself and set, setting up my, my own business. But I think there is, there, there is something to be said for people just taking responsibility for their own actions and not just not kind of crying away from it. And maybe there's a little bit of that that goes back to the boat in terms of locking yourself in a cabin for five days. That's not helping anyone, is it? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. And the only reason why is because I, I love my job. I love giving people agency and supporting them and having a team that is proactive and and just, you know, I can trust them implicitly to get the work done. That being said, I've had, not only in my current organization, but in, in my previous careers, <clears throat> worked with people who are exactly like that, don't want to take responsibility, just want to come in, do the work, clock off. And, um, you know, they, they very quickly find themselves um, on their way out, if I'm completely honest. Mm. Um, so it's, but, but I'd like, you know, if somebody genuinely, I guess, needs help, that's the best part of my job, um, to, to be able to, to help and develop someone but if if that want isn't initially there you know you, you kind of ask yourself well do I have the time the energy the resource to to invest in this person do you know what I've, I've talked my way around and I completely agree with you yeah you're absolutely right <laughs> I, I knew you'd get there in the end yeah yeah I got there in the end it's been a long day so, so <laughs> see the thing for me and I don't, I'm not, I don't know how the chap was. Um, I, I, I don't know the situation where his head was at. But there's part of me that's like, right, if I can't row, 
because I can't sit in the seat because I'm in too much pain and I've got really sore. What can I do? Right. I can do the admin. I can clean the bits. I can prep the food so when someone comes off, they can eat and sleep and get more rest because they're having to pick up my slack and just try and take that team approach. So, okay, these are the things I can't do. Fair enough, but I can do these bits and pieces. It's very easy for me to sit here in a comfy chair, warm, not wet, not cold, not going up and down on the ocean. But, um, yeah, I would like to think if that was me, that's what I would have done and not just shut myself away. I think all of us think of ourselves in in that way and think we would have done the same thing. Again, just it was such a shock to the system in terms of how bad it was, how utterly desolate it is out there, how horrible we were feeling, how horrific the weather was. Um, It was so different to what we expected. I think it just, you know, just some of us just needed that time to, I don't know, have have a, a bit of space to recuperate and yeah, again, process. Yeah. yeah. So you've done the rowing, and you said you're you're still a bit guilty of kind of jumping up in the middle of the room and going, "Go on, then I'll do this." So is that how you ended up doing marathons? Did they come after the rowing? Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was a paid ad through uh, Instagram. Um, <laughs> And I just, it was a lead ad, so it was like two clicks to get signed up, I think it was. But um, yeah, never, never in my life wanted to do a marathon. Never uh, hated running, still hate running. And I was, and anyone who's not been able to get in through the ballot will hate this, but I got in on the first try. Um, and then all of a sudden, my whole life was, right, we're doing marathons now, so let's let's do marathons. And I hate it absolutely hated it it was just the worst get stick me back in the boat i'd rather do that than than another marathon but um yeah there's there's that there's other stuff i you know someone will text me and go Finn, you fancy this yes and then afterwards it's like shit i don't know how to do that you're doing triathlon now aren't you triathlon next yeah so how did how did that come about did somebody just say do you want to do triathlon yes yeah (laughs) yeah that was it really um So I can't swim and uh, hate running and uh, I've got a decent bike, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, that's got a couple of months to figure that out. And what distance? It's just a quarter. Okay. It's, it seems to me, I'm going to go out on a limb here because we've had a good chat and I okay. think we understand each other a little bit and we understand that we're all genuine and kind of know our place in the world it seems to me that you seem i'm trying to word it correctly not not carefully but correctly you're you're gonna swear on me aren't you no no no, i'm not gonna swear (laughs) i'm gonna say i think you are far too modest and are falling back on the fact that you've just said yes to stuff when I think you really, really wanted to do it anyway. Possibly. Um, I mean, I've said yes to stuff that I didn't want to do. Um, A couple of months back, I got invited to a real life fight club 
Um, and it was exactly like the book, exactly like the movie, you know. Finn, do you want to come to a fight club? Uh, any style. Uh, it's in a farmhouse in the middle of the countryside. You can't tell anyone. Yes. And it was only after I'd been there, done it, drove back, and I thought, that was really fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> that was really, you know, I cracked a rib. I was bruised from the top all the way down. And it was just one of those things where I thought, you know what, Finn, you don't have to say yes to everything. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm modest. I think I'm just, I'm, I am, especially now, I am acutely aware that, you know, things could end any day. You know, you just you just don't know. And not to sound morbid, but it, I, I would hate to be in the position where you're kind of lying on your deathbed thinking, oh, do you know what, I wish I'd said yes to that text. I wonder what that fight club would have been like, or I really wish I'd done that triathlon. Or, yeah. Well, um, I'll just stop you there and just read out something that you put on your Instagram stories yesterday, I think. Oh, God. Which was... Okay. No, <laughs> And I'm gonna. It was one of my questions. Like, where does the quote come from? Um, nobody knows how long I've got left, but I'm. If I'm not able to walk, I'm sleeping most of the days, and most things I took for granted are pipe dreams. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was a story that um, kind of really scared me. If I'm completely honest, it was um, Deborah James, who's a, a podcaster. And she's been battling incredibly bravely um, over the past few years. And bowel cancer. Yep. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think her yeah. funds. It was one million, one point three million this morning. I think it's yeah. topped out at three um, this afternoon. Um, yeah. And I, I see the, the quote maybe taken out of context, but yeah. that uh, not to say that she hasn't been doing stuff, but that terrified me. Yeah. absolutely terrified me that somebody would say to me, do you know what, Finn? You know, I've, I've been in situations where I've had to clean up the blood. You know, I've been in situations where, you know, you have to bury someone, if I'm completely honest, and it just, it happens so quickly. And, <clears throat> you know, it's... <laughs> Every single second, you know, I, I just want to squeeze every single second out of out of life. This is probably why I don't sleep because, you know, I want to get up. I want to. I want to go do something, see something. I'm the guy that texts his friends and go, "Do you want to go see the sunrise in Southport?" No, I'm sleeping. Well, I'm going anyway. You know, or fancy doing a, a cold water dip in a, a reservoir, or do you want to go wild camping this weekend? You know, I'm I'm that annoying guy who's just. <laughs> I don't know if it's a mental illness or not. I don't know if it just shows I'm unhinged or what, but I am acutely aware that, you know, time is, I probably have less time in front of me than I did, than I do behind me, if that makes sense. Have you got siblings? Yeah, I've got one sister. Uh, and she's a teacher and lives over in Texas. Did she have a similar outlook on life? To you? No, no, no. No, um, other than just we, we both have a similar penchant for swearing all the time, <laughs> considering she's a teacher as well, who's, who's retained her Mancunian access in, uh, accent in Texas. But um, no, this is, uh, this is all me, I think. Is she active? Does she have, you know, are your parents active? No, no. That's, again, that's another one where, you know, my, my dad was 
<clears throat> type two diabetic and smoked and didn't exercise and it got him in the end unfortunately and for myself as a father the I, I do think to myself sometimes I have a uh I guess not so much a standard but an example to to kind of lead so you know we we don't we don't have iPad time we don't watch about TV if I'm completely honest over the weekends we're out we're we're doing yeah taekwondo lessons we're climbing we're swimming we're um you know exploring um the the countryside around us and as much of that again you know i was the the skinny white kid in my side and I, i definitely don't want that for my kids so it's every possible opportunity to to get out and about and that was the, the i suppose the the point in why we started this podcast was to discuss those sort of things and why living an active life is what we should do but also the reason why i mentioned that quote that you posted because i didn't know where it came from yeah. i know of the story but i didn't know the particular quote but that's that's the point isn't it in terms of not letting your physic physical ability prevent you from doing anything like as much as you can control let's say you you can't control certain things you can't control you know, kind of cancer, you can't control yeah. things that are out of your control, but you can control a lot of things, which a lot of people don't do. And yeah. we find that, myself and Paul find that questionable and strange that people don't care as much about that side of things. I think, so I completely agree with you. I think the the, the one thing that I try and remind myself is, For some people, they absolutely do want to, but they'll have some debilitating social anxiety, for example, and they just can't bring themselves to... I did it for the first two years of having a gym membership. I never went to the gym, ever. I was too scared to go in. I'd walk past, I'd get my gym kit ready in the morning, and then I'd I'd make an excuse on the way to college. Nah, you know what, Finn, you need to to do a bit of extra study, and you're just not going to have time. And then all throughout the day, right, I'm going to the gym, Oh, do you know what you haven't eaten today and you need to probably get back and you've got work afterwards you're going to be too tired and I did that for two years walking past the gym and for some people I know there'll be people listening going I always wanted to do x and it's just you know sometimes you just need the mate to go with you mm. you just need someone that can not so much hold your hand but I really want to go try this gym in Liverpool uh, and I don't want to go by myself call someone up or WhatsApp, lads, do you want to go down together? And if, you know, if you have one other person that goes with you, it makes everything a lot easier. I think it's it's just hard, especially with, I'm going to go in a whole rant now, but no I guess, go. well, no, it's just, I was, I've been thinking about this for a while, but, uh, and this is, this is going to be a bit of a wild ride, but I think men, especially now, are not in a good place. I think there's a lot of, compartmentalization there's a lot of uh, disinformation I think there's a lot of um, I guess blurring the lines around identity and you know when you when you get past that and you you know you go to a boxing gym you have a good scrap with the lads and then you just hang out afterwards or you know if you're part of a sporting team or if you you go and have a workout with a mate or even if it's just you know a complete stranger who's not afraid to come up to you and go, do you mind if I work in? And then you can have a bit of a chat around. That's that's what it should be like. But 
I feel like a lot of what we do, how we're brought up, some of the kind of what we call social norms, are, are almost, I hope not, but almost designed to stop us from doing that. Uh, and it's a bit scary, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. I told you it was going to be a rant. <laughs> no, that's, that, do you know what? That's, that's what we're about. We're, we're about exploring how we think and how we, how we feel about where we are. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'm the first person to, you know, if someone messaged me, I want to go do this, do you want to come with me? Yes. You know, or, you know, if, if I see someone struggling in the gym or, you know, in, in another kind of situation like that, I'm, you know, I'm not the moody dickhead with my hoodie up, you know, growling at someone because they've, they've asked for a piece of equipment or they've asked me how many sets. And is that in part because right at the start, that's what you would have liked someone to do to you? You're right there, mate, do you want to, you're thinking of going oh, in? Oh man, I would have given my left in nut. Yeah, I would have given my left nut. If somebody had been that that friendly, that kind, that welcoming, that helpful, what an amazing world we'd be in if, if everyone was like that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And because, and because of that, actually, you're being the person that you would have liked to have met as a 17 year old I see you've been a gym kit but you never go in come on in with me or you know you're happy to to see that person that's a little bit iffy and just go here's my hands come and take it and we'll we'll get through this together you make it sound a little bit sordid there but yeah it's um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hanging around James going come and take my hand but um I mean I'll, I'll give you an example there was a um there was a, a a kid must have been at least 16 years old uh, in um, Pure Gym in Nottingham. I was used to using the cable machine and he came up to me and he said, how long are you going to be? And I said, I'll, I'm, I've got two more sets and then it's all yours. And he just stood there staring at me with his hands in his pockets, just paralyzed with, I don't know what to do now. I, I want to have a machine. I want to have a bit of kit to keep myself occupied. I don't have my phone with me. I don't know what to do. So I kind of did the first set and said, mate, do you want to jump in? And again, just the worst possible form. He was so bloody nervous. And you kind of instinctively, you know, I guess soften up a little bit. I wouldn't be like, oh, you're doing that wrong, mate. Or why don't you go heavier? Or, you know, nothing. Not, not that I would normally do that, but just... You know, you see men going into these situations, you see men going into gyms and you see the, the wrong example being set. And, you know, you see these these people gatekeeping CrossFit or gatekeeping ocean rowing or gatekeeping rugby or gatekeeping football. When it's not, it shouldn't be that. It should be as no. open and as inclusive. And if you shout it, great. Did you have fun? That's the important thing. You know, I, I was shit at CrossFit. I hated it. Did I have fun? Yes, I absolutely loved it. But, you know, I bloody hated it as well because everybody was so much better. Same with boxing. Love boxing. I'm not designed for it. I've got a Greek nose, you know. That's that's a target right there. But, <laughs> but you know, am I good at it? No, but do I enjoy it? Yeah. But there's always that moment and you're sitting in the car going, fuck, I just want to go home. Don't want to go in and look at it. And then, you know, the rest of the lads will see you in the car park and they'll drag you out by the ears. It's that's that's the kind of world you want to be in. That's what health and fitness and you know normalized activity should be. Uh, it should be just a natural part of our lives. It shouldn't be a massive thing to go and exercise. Yeah, and I think 
we've kind of had similar conversations with the people is that that fear of going and I think when we spoke to I was it might have been Lucy Lismore and whether for women and, and probably men too there's that self-consciousness of do I look like I'm fit enough to be even be going to the gym as opposed to I'm going to the gym to be healthier and be stronger or you have people saying oh, I'm not fit enough to do CrossFit that's, and that's yeah that's that's the biggest one of my biggest pet peeves is if someone messages me go and goes um got a workout program or have you got any supplements that you'd recommend and i'll be like yeah absolutely there's there's this great thing andrew tracy has an amazing resource you should follow him or you know there's a great pre-worker that i use or this that and the other and then i'll just ask do you want to do you want to work out together oh no 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 I, I need a couple of months before i'm I'm at your level. I hate that. God, I'm shit. I am so rubbish. I'm I'm throwing the five kgs around, you know, a thousand reps in an hour, and that's me done for the the workout. I'm not doing anything special. But oh, I'm not I'm not ready to go boxing yet. I need to get fit. No, you don't. Mm. Or oh, I'm not strong enough to. Oh, I don't. I don't look like I should be in the gym. That's what a gym is about. It just oh, it boils my piss when I hear that sometimes because it will never happen. It will never happen. No, and I think uh, a sentence that's been used more than once on these, start where you're at, start where you are, and, and go from there. Absolutely. I mean... And just, just start. I didn't start going to the gym until I was 18. And I just think to myself, bloody hell, you know, all those years that I could have been going to the gym and enjoying myself and reaping not only the physical, but the mental and, and, and the other rewards that came would come with that. You know, it's what, what's the the saying? The best time to start a tree was ten years ago. The second best time is now. It's yeah. you know, I'm, I'm throwing all the adages into this, but it's it's 100 percent true. And yeah, as, as many people I can empower, as many people I can help, as many people I can activate. Great. Let's let's have that conversation. But the the thing that you mentioned, go, going back to the the quotes that you said earlier. A lot of people read quotes and motivational quotes and books about what to do, but they actually don't do anything with it. They just read them. They don't actually act upon them. And what's the point? I I don't mind that. I genuinely don't. The only reason why is because I think you're more likely to, for one of those things, one of those books, one of those quotes, to be of relevance to you and trigger you into action than you not reading any of that shite and you're not doing anything, if that makes sense. I think if you are if you are reading the books and you are posting the quotes, then some part of you resonates with that message. Some part of you wants mm. that to be true. And it's just a little crack in the door, in the doorway, um, as opposed to no crack at all. Mm. So everyone needs to find their way in, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. And if it's if it's posting most of motivational shit on Instagram, then go for it. But <laughs> but what I can't stand are the ones that commercialize it and you know the, the Gary V's and the other massive influencers that you know turn turn a, 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 a bit of stoicism and then repackage it and remarket it. That is anathema to me. That is just the that's 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 going in the right, the opposite direction, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, monetizing it and making it a product. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm going to do a, a complete U-turn, having gone down this very deep route. I'm going to swing it back a little bit. Do you, when you go in the gym, do you kind of have like a side eye at the rowing machines and then keep walking? Or do you ever sit back on them and row? <laughs> I give them a little kick as I walk past it, to be honest. <laughs> you bastard. Pretty much, yeah. I, I haven't been on a rower um, since. It's, it's just not enjoyable it's not it's such a far cry from from what i was i was very lucky enough to to um experience that you know sitting on a rower is just salt in the wound if you pardon the pun um so it's yeah i, I have no interest in in rowing on land if that makes sense yeah it does and for a let's say businessman can can we describe you as yeah, I'd, I'd hope so. I hope, uh, uh, yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah, you're, you're wearing a shirt, which is unusual for a guest. On Nothing else, but just a shirt. <laughs> yeah, um, but as a businessman, as someone who's running a business and working very hard, you are very fit. You look good, which you remind us of on your Instagram. <laughs> um so in terms of in terms of where you are now yeah compared to going back to to, to the role like what's your philosophy now what 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 is important to you like how how do you sort of how do you train how do you balance life that's a big question i understand no worries. um so i work very hard um and I have a very stressful, very, what I'd like to think is an important job. Um, so I'm MD, which has a ton of responsibilities and it's not something that can quite easily be boxed between nine and five. But, you know, if you're training and you're in the gym, you're not checking your emails, you're not on Slack, you know, on Zoom. And for, for me, it's a little bit of escape, if I'm completely honest. So it's... Mm. It keeps me in in good stead to be able to train either before or after work, um, and and just kind of reminding myself that you know you you've, you have a, a a target to to walk to to work towards if that makes sense you know you you go and do deadlifts and then you think that was really cool how heavy can I go next week or you know the posting on the Instagram is another one as well you know the the skinny white kid from my side would never have posted a, a topless picture on Instagram. And now it's, I mean, you've seen it's every bloody opportunity I can get because I can, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling to be able to do that for myself. Not, you know, I'm not bombarding people with hashtags. I'm not tagging brands and not, you know, shilling discount codes or anything. It's literally just really enjoyed my workout, got a decent pump on, um, stuck 15 different filters on it. So, and then I'm going to post it kind of thing. So the philosophy for me is just feeling good and enjoying it. And if I don't enjoy it, you know, take that away and, and re-examine it. And, you know, why didn't I enjoy that? Was it the environment? Was it the training? Was it the diet? Was it the the pre-workout? Um, have I had enough sleep and, and kind of working working to figure that out? Um, and then that gets boring really quickly. So I've got a deadlift comp in June. I've got a triathlon in, in August. I'm climbing the Alps again in, in July. Um, and I've joined a rugby club. Um you know, anything I can do basically just to, to have something that scares me a little bit, I think is, is, is important to have in the mix. 
How are you finding yeah. the rugby club? I mean, haven't been there yet. Training starts in July, so um, so far it's it's a lot of paperwork. If I'm completely honest, but um, excited to to start. And I, again, I'll be shit, but you know, it's one of the things that I'll take off my list. And, and I'll they're be very like, welcoming. They're very welcoming. Do you know? Do you know what though? You you won't be because you you. I was going to say you're pretty fit. Yeah, you you're fit. Uh, I was going to say I'm the I've, uh, yeah. Well, there's there's always there's always bigger, there's always stronger, and uh, I, I actually really like the I guess mix between just sheer size, strength, and athleticism in in rugby. That's always been really interesting, uh, as well as mindset um, and and just general approach to, to to life as well. So it's it's going to be a whole new world, but it's it's one of those things that it was on my lockdown list. Same as the triathlon, you know, I wanted to do it uh, over the past two years, and there wasn't an opportunity to do it. Now there is. Someone text me, Finch, fancy joining a rugby club? Yes, done. Rugby league or rugby union? Union. Yeah. And I should probably find the difference out before July. Might be beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> there are some subtle differences. There's a lot of subtle differences. Yeah, have a great time. I loved it. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't say the Instagram thing in any sort of derogatory terms. No, no, it's absolutely fine. It's yeah. genuinely, I, you know, people. There's a meme of the guy taking his top off and taking a picture, taking his shorts off, taking his picture, and then taking his underwear off and taking a picture, and just that's that's pretty much me. Just because you know, six years in a communist country where there was no social media, and then coming over here and, and being able to post anything I want within reason. Uh, and then also being able to to have a bit of a catalogue of pictures and and you know track my progress and be able to scroll back far enough to go oh, fuck you know your triceps were shit back then yeah. you know and, just and also I think sometimes people like people get like a little bit of like shit for like posting stuff of themselves in terms of their progress in terms of being proud of themselves, like it's almost sometimes that you're not allowed to be proud of yourself for how you look or what you've achieved. Absolutely. One of, one of I like to think a good friend of mine, he goes carp fishing and posts nothing but that. And I, I'd rather gouge my eyes out than go carp fishing. But he posts about it so passionately, you know, so... Mm. He, he crafts his stories. He, he he makes sure that the the captions are really detailed about what he caught and, and where it was and how easy or difficult it was. And I like every single one of his his posts because it's done with passion. It's done with a very honest heart. And Paul, you do the same with your stuff as well. You know, it's all in bloody black and black and white, which pisses me off. But other than that, you know, you you're very in the in the what can I call it in the heart of what you do and you're happy to post that and stick that out there and you know I I love social media I love it for for what it is in terms of a, a way of expressing ourselves when it starts to become a problem that's when you you know you, you put the phone down and you go outside does your wife exercise no but she gets where you're coming from she sorry, I should rephrase that before she comes in and batters me. But so she does Peloton. Uh she does some of the um the, the hit classes as well. 
Um, and then before we had kids, <clears throat> she was, you know, she'd go with friends as a sociable uh, uh, activity to some of the gym classes, the, the circuit classes, that kind of stuff as well. But um, we tried going to the gym once to lift weights together. And, you know, you see the, the Instagram couples who, who train together with their besties and we almost killed it. We almost got divorced. If I'm completely honest, it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty tough. I was like, yeah, we're never, ever training again, ever again. Yeah. We, we, we did that for when we moved into where we currently live, we joined a gym, a commercial gym. And we did that very thing for six months and then just went our separate ways. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's really funny because I'll go downstairs into the family room and the Peloton class is, is happening and she's exercising. You deal with any any husband, I think, would do when you, you start taking the piss, you start getting involved, you start... To go in the background and... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and then there's various stages of undress happening and, and all that stuff and you try and distract her. And if it was the other way around, if she went into the garage and I was on the bike or on the bag and, you know, or lifting and, and she was distracting me well actually no that would work that would distract me straight off the bat if I'm completely honest but yeah I, I just we, our, our marriage our personalities don't mm. don't seem to interact in that space that is that's a really interesting one because my wife's the same and she does kind of iPad like online hit classes yeah. and I work out outside and she's quite happy if I'm in the kitchen cooking and she's over there doing exercises. Like it's not a distraction for her. But if I'm in the garden and I'm working out, if anyone even opens the back door, <laughs> that's that's the end of the world. It's like that's, do yeah. not interrupt. Even if I'm on like doing like a <laughs> one minute rest, <laughs> you do not talk to me. You, that's my my time. Sacred time, yeah. But and that's the beauty of being up at five o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. Everybody else is asleep. Everybody yeah. else is asleep. The gym is completely empty, with the exception of really annoying. And I need to find a new gym. The gym right next to my, like literally right next to my office, is rammed at five o'clock in the morning, and I don't know why. I genuinely don't know why. It's absolutely horrific. Um, so I'm going to have to go further afield to find a a smaller gym but it's it's great to see people training at five in the morning but i'm not used to having to wait for equipment at that time that's mad uh, honestly it's it's a twilight zone pure gym i i have no idea why it's like this but i've, I've literally and if you train legs every other person in there is training legs and then you go the next day if you want to go do shoulders or you want to go do uh, a bit of deadlifting every single person is doing exactly what you're doing as well. It's a little bit Truman Show, if I'm completely honest. It's you just a change, weird gym. You need to change your split. You need to go <laughs> legs, pull, push. I've, I've tried that. I swear to God, I've tried that. And they they, they marry up somehow. They just sync up again. Yeah. <laughs> so That's funny. You've got a deadlift competition to do and then a triathlon. Yep. What's going to happen in 2023? All joking aside, I'm a little bit worried if I don't enjoy the triathlon because what else is there? You know, uh, I, I'm definitely at the, the middle age stage of my life where I'm supposed to be really into golf, really into cycling or really into triathlons right now. And um tried 
and, and putting a, a steel rod in the hands of someone that grew up in Moss Side is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> cycling, I'm terrified of being hit by a car. Um, so I just have it on the turbo. And then with triathlons, the rubber suit is kind of a, a, a good part of the, the process so far. But I don't know, is my honest answer. The Pacific is there and the Pacific I'd love to go after. That's a nine-month row. But when the kids are a lot older, when they're in university, you know, that that gives me the opportunity then to, to do that and not feel guilty about spending time away from the family. But I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And I'm a little bit worried about it. Is that a nine-month nine row? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing. That would be incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, how many marathons did you do? Just the one. And never again. So you wouldn't do an ultra? <sighs> See, if you asked me, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> if you asked me, I'd probably say yes. I'd say yes and then worry about it after. But um, Or strong man. What about strong man? So that's kind of where the, um, well, not, not <laughs> strong man is. You have weight yes categories, again. don't you? Yeah. Weight, yeah, you have weight categories for strongman. I, I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think have, they have a, a featherweight category for me. But, but I, I've I've been to a few strongman seminars. There's a there's a great um, gym by me, the Strength Collective, uh, and uh, a coach there, Doug, runs uh, strongman taster days, and I've I've been to about two or three of them, and they're they're great. You know, just for being able to play with the toys that you wouldn't normally play with. Uh, and he's an he's an incredible instructor as well, um, but it's it, you know, done. You know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be joining any massive competitions. And what about the alpine clone? So you you're going back to the Alps. Would you do more alpinism or, or sport climbing? Um, I'd like to, but again, it's it's time away from work. It's time away from the family. It's mm. a lot of technical skills that I'd probably want to be better at before we did anything more, I guess, adventurous. Um, yeah, possibly, but we'll see what happens. You know, I'll, I'll do it again in, in July and that might tick the box for me. Uh, what else? I'm trying to get you into some sports now. Aren't I? I'm having some yeah. fun with this. You could do um, three-day eventing, go on a horse, um, modern pentathlon, some fencing. Did fencing. Oh, okay. Yeah, did that one. And uh, I'll tell you what I am looking at. It's a medieval combat club. Um, <laughs> well, the bow and arrow will come in handy, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a full suit of armour and a broadsword and a shield and just fucking go at it. And it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'm always out of Manchester on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So if it syncs up... They, they've, they've messaged me, I think it's like £5.60 ago. Um, that's me dressing up like uh, Lancelot and just <laughs> beating the absolute hell out of someone. So that's, that's, that's an absolute bargain to get the frustration of the day out. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. I just need a Tuesday or a Thursday where I can go. Wow. That's going to tickle, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. What, yeah. What even is that? Like, just, you just, you wear an armor, and someone just you just beat each other with a sword. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they looking at their account. I, I, I feel bad now. I'm not going to be able to give them a plug, but looking at the account, they they train and market themselves almost like a BJJ club. It just so happens there's mm. chainmail and swords. 
Um, but they take it really seriously as well. They proper leather each other, and that looks awesome. So, yeah, that, that'll probably happen in the next few weeks, if I'm completely honest. Well, fantastic. good luck. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, if people want to find you, Finn, where can they find you? So they can, you know, our, our dear listeners can send you messages on what you could do next. Yep. Say 07, yes to this. It's uh, it's oh seven four. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I should check actually what my Instagram is. I've completely forgotten. Uh, it's the Ocean Rower, but it's yeah the underscore Ocean underscore Rower. Um, and I say really, if if you want to, great, but. There's there's better accounts out there to follow. There's there's more helpful, more informative accounts. But um, yeah, I'd I, I love again social media for the ability to to reach out and, and make connections with people and talk about deadlifts and talk about you know smacking each other over the head with a broadsword or um, you know wild camping. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm probably easier to find on Instagram than anything else. That's cool. Yeah, and where where else can you? connect with people to have such varied conversations exactly yeah so it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a good space it is it's very good thank you so much Finn. no problem i've really enjoyed that thank you for the uh the question and giving me an opportunity to to rant a little bit as well <laughs> <laughs>